Welcome to Nancy's Bookshelf, a weekly program of conversations with writers in the studios of North State Public Radio. Now here's your host, Nancy Wiegman. Author Raymond McDonald writes, Merle Haggard was my idol, my father figure, my brother. I loved him very much. About himself, Ray McDonald says, This Native American Indian kid from Kansas had the great pleasure of being Merle Haggard's friend. Ray's family moved from Kansas to California in 1959 and wound up in Bakersfield, where he was a member of Merle Haggard's household from 1965 to 1966. He later worked as Merle's personal assistant, eventually becoming his tour bus driver from 2009 to 2016. Raymond McDonald has now written a memoir as a tribute to the legacy of his friend, Merle Haggard. Raymond McDonald, welcome. Well, thank you, Nancy and Matthew. It's, it's an absolute pleasure. Now, I might mention that you have a connection to the North State, just uh, uh, not far from Reading. And what brought you up to uh, this part of California back in the day? Well, it was Merle Haggard. You know, he went up there about 1977. He had gotten a divorce, and his brother Lowell had taken him up there to see Mount Shasta and Lake Shasta, and he immediately fell in love with it. Of course, I'd known Merle by then maybe 13, 14 years, and he immediately bought a house up there in Palisadro, and of course, he bought Silverthorne Resort on Lake Shasta. He lived on the lake for eight years. On a, on a houseboat. And of course, I'd go up and visit him. And then in uh, 1998, I went up there and uh, took over his office. His office manager died when I was there, Bob Newcomb. And he had me take over his job, Bob Newcomb's job in 1998, working as his office manager at Merle's Ranch up there in Palisadro. So that's how I wound up in Northern California. My guest is Raymond McDonald, and he has written a memoir, Merle Haggard Was a Friend of Mine. And you were just mentioning how you would come up to the North State to, uh, uh, to, be, to join Merle on his ranch there in Palisadro. You know, I didn't really know too much about Merle Haggard. I'm hesitant to say, because when I was growing up, I wanted to listen to popular music. I didn't want to listen to country music. <laughs> <laughs> and so Merle Haggard was his name I heard in the background. And it was not until I saw Ken Burns' documentary on country music that I was blown away by what I didn't know, all the influences that country music had on our culture. Oh, gosh. Well, that's a wonderful, what you're talking about, the Ken Burns documentary about country music. I think, Nancy, it came out like a year ago, September, if I remember right. I would catch parts of it already in progress. I watched it parts of it several times because I found it so informative about all these names that I had heard, even the the tunes. And there was one person I had never heard of, but boy, when he came on screen, I paid attention. And that was Marty Stewart. Marty (laughs) is such a tremendous uh, musician. He's a great guy. In my book, I actually wrote a chapter about Marty Stewart. And Merle, of course, and Marty were very good friends. Well, one striking feature of Marty, I thought, oh, my goodness, here's a country music star whose hair is, is rather remarkable. Yeah, I talk <laughs> about people- that in, in his chapter. In fact, Merle, Merle did a little comedy bit about Marty Stewart because his fans, of course, knew he had this giant hair. And in my chapter, I write that he had the best hair since Moses. <laughs> and, and, and he he was well known for it. But the comedy bit Merle did live in concert, every concert was about Marty Stewart. He said that uh, he he had given the Country Music Hall of Fame a Merle Haggard guitar to display down in Nashville, Tennessee. Well, they had floods down there many years ago. And Marty Stewart called Merle to say that uh, the flood had had taken his guitar that he gave him, and it was floating down the river. And Marty jumped in to get it and got his hair wet. Well, you might <laughs> Which describe isn't true. 
Mark, just describe Marty's hair since he just described, just mentioned how he saved a guitar in spite of jumping in the water. <laughs> well, I'll refer people to the internet because all you got to do there is look at a picture of Marty Stewart. He's got this giant hair. He's a very handsome man. Yes, he first is. First of all. And his hair is giant. It's like Albert Einstein. It's just way up there, but it's always perfectly combed. It's long. I noticed Matt has long hair. I got long hair. And, and I've seen pictures of you, young lady, of uh, you got really long hair, but it looks like you got a haircut. Uh, well, I just, my hair is long now. I just don't get around to cutting it very often. But <laughs> Marty has beautiful silver hair, but he's very youthful looking. I was surprised somebody that young uh, was a part of the country music scene for so long. Yeah, he was a fantastic uh, teenage wonder he was playing with flat and scrugs when he was in his teens he was johnny cash's son-in-law at one point well um there are so many interesting characters in your book you got to meet nearly all of them with one notable exception but you open your book with a tribute you were asked to write uh, by bakersfield newspaper and i guess I've heard these country music songs about being in jail, but I didn't know that Merle Haggard had been in jail when he was younger. Oh, yeah. And you you write about his jail time and this friend named Frisco that he met when he was in jail. And tell us that story. Who was Frisco? It was a remarkable meeting. Merle was playing the Fox Theater in Bakersfield, and I was driving the bus. So we were staying the night, so I didn't have to drive 300 miles that night. And so I went out in the lobby at intermission, and there was a beautiful black man standing there with his, well, there was two beautiful black men standing there in the lobby, and I had my Merle Haggard backstage pass on, and they approached me. And the older man is Frisco, and the younger man was his nephew. And he came up to me, and he said, do you know Merle? And I said, sure, I do. I work for him. And he goes, well, would you tell him? that Frisco come to see him. I ain't seen him in 60 years. We were in the Bakersfield jail together. And I said, I will. So he gave me his phone number and he said, you tell him I've been thinking of him for 60 years and I'm so proud of him. And I've told all my family, my grandchildren, my great grandchildren and everybody I know for 60 years, I was in jail with Merle Haggard, like in 1952, 53, right in there. And so I said, okay. And I, the next morning we were driving to Los Angeles uh, for a show. And I said, Merle, he was sitting next to me in a jump seat as I was driving on highway 99. I said, Merle, do you know a guy named Frisco? And he almost jumped out of his seat. Frisco, Frisco. Yeah. What about him? I said, he was there last night. He wants to see you. He, and he goes, oh, my God, that guy saved me. That guy, when I was in jail, I was just a punk kid. I went in the jail cell, and there was a bunch of rough guys in there. And Merle says, I had to fight him. But this guy, Frisco, was a, a big man. He was six foot one. He weighed about 180. And he told everybody in that jail cell that he was the, was the mayor of the jail cell, and Merle was going to be appointed the sheriff of the jail cell. And if you was going to mess with Merle, you had to go through the mayor first when Mets. And he said, and you're going to get a thumping if you go, if you try to go through me to get to Merle. And Merle remembered all that. And he just was totally taken aback that he finally got to see his friend. We arranged for a meeting about two months later, and they met at California State University in Bakersfield when Merle was getting an honorary doctorate for music. And so Frisco showed up at the time. He was probably 82 right in there. And uh, oh, my goodness, it was, it was a wonderful uh, meeting between the two. Frisco had turned his life around. He became a preacher. Merle was so proud of him. All the families got together. We had a big lunch. But it was a wonderful, wonderful time. Did you see the picture in there of Frisco and Merle? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. 
That's one thing I enjoy. You do have a lot of pictures in your book, and most of them you took yourself. You had an opportunity to photograph all these various people that uh, you met and the, that were friends of, of Merle Haggard's. Oh, yeah. You know, and I, I had no plans to write a book. I just knew <laughs> this was a historical figure every time I took a picture of him, whether he wanted it or not. I was, they're almost <laughs> all candid pictures, as you probably noticed, Nancy. Yes, yes I did. And, and, and I tell you, uh, he was uh, usually very receptive to it. And I didn't know I was going to write a book and had a lot of really good friends up there in the North State that took pictures. Dan and Debbie Spies, actually, uh, who are, are prominent up there in Reading. She was a teacher. He was a uh, CEO of a, of a company up there. They're the ones who told me about Nancy's bookshelf. Oh, nice. but as an But as an example... Uh, they, they said, Hey, you need to get on Nancy's bookshelf about, <laughs> about that. And they took a lot of those really good pictures. In fact, the introduction page with Merle with that big smile on his face and his sunglasses that was taken by Dan Spies, who lives up there still. Yeah. That's a nice photograph. Well, actually, uh, more than one person, I think encouraged you to write the book, but the one that I remember, uh, because you knew Merle 52 years, you say. Yes. And uh, you were, James Kahn wanted to meet Merle. So many people wanted to meet Merle. So James Kahn's Hollywood producer, when he met you, he said, you've known Merle for 50 years. Have you written a book? And so he was one of the ones that encouraged you to put this down, make a record of these experiences and of Merle Haggard. For example, it was so touching that we know what a big hearted guy Merle became after serving time in prison. And this other guy, Frisco, that served time in prison, became a pastor, turned his life around. But, you know, I kept wondering, what could Merle Haggard have done, knowing what a big hearted guy he is, was later in life? What could he have done to have gotten himself in prison? And you don't really go into that. Do you well, mind telling us? No, not at all. Uh, Merle has two books that he wrote about his life. One of them's called My House of Memories. And I think the other one was uh, Sing, Me, Sing Me Back Home. Not really sure. Uh, one of them came out about 1980. Then he did one in 1999. And he pretty much explains it all there. But Merle's father died when he was only nine years old. And he became uh, incorrigible. He didn't want to go to school. He had lost his all-time hero, his father, who he adored. And because of that, his mother tried to keep him in check. And she just couldn't. And he, he became a juvenile delinquent. Uh, he went to high school for two weeks and, and quit. And then that's when he started hopping freight trains and playing guitars and, and being a, just a, a juvenile delinquent. He was in and out of reform schools for his entire teenage years till he finally got in trouble where he would uh i think he 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 tried to break into a uh a restaurant down in bakersfield and it was still open he was he was drunk and he pulled around to the back of the place and he tried to get in there he was trying to jimmy the door so he could get in there and get some money out of there and they were still open and the guy that owned the place opened up the back door and said, Merle, you even knew him. He goes, Merle, what are you doing? So Merle hopped in his car, took off. The guy called the cops. Cops pulled him over, put him in jail. And that last time was when they said, you know what? He kept breaking out of reform schools and getting out of jails and stuff. But he finally, they finally said, let's see if you can get out of San Quentin. And they put him in there. He was in there two years and nine months. My guest is Raymond McDonald, and he was the tour bus driver for Merle Haggard for a number of years, and he has written a memoir, Merle Haggard Was a Friend of Mine. After a break, I'll be back to continue my conversation with author Raymond McDonald. You're listening to Nancy's Bookshelf on North State Public Radio. I'm Nancy Wigman.
I'm Nancy Wigman, and you're listening to Nancy's Bookshelf on North State Public Radio. I'm back with my guest, Raymond McDonald, who was a tour bus driver for Merle Haggard for a number of years and was friends with Merle for 52 years. At a young age, you were actually on radio, and I was amused that you and I <laughs> both got our starts in radio that way, only I played classical music at North mm. Public Radio, and so I was a classical music announcer, but I could identify with you playing back in the days when there, was, when there were vinyl records. And tell us about your career as a DJ. It started in 1968. I was in Bakersfield and Buck Owens, also a major country music star. His boys were my friends and they got me a job working at KBBY, which was uh, an underground FM rock and roll station in 1968. And I love music. So I said, this is this will be a great job. They put me on midnight to six, uh, spinning records, everybody from Jimi Hendrix to the Beatles to Janis Joplin and the, the uh, giant Rolling Stones, giant of, of that day. And I love that. But, you know, uh, Nancy, about three months into it, Buck changed the format from rock and roll to country. And I wasn't a big fan of country, uh, not as much as, as rock and roll. I mean, I was 18 years old. So I was listening to pop music like you. And, or I didn't realize you were a classical music DJ. That's, that's very cool. But anyway, well, so that was many so, years after uh, my teenage oh, infatuation oh. <laughs> with, with, with rock music and popular music. And when I was thinking, oh, I don't want to listen to this country music. <laughs> but it was uh, much later that I uh, w became a classical music DJ, so to speak, announcer. Yeah. Well, I tell you what, I, I loved rock and roll, but when we went to country, Merle came down there one night uh, in the middle of the night. About I was on midnight to six for months, and he came down there and tapped on the window, and he was waving this album at me called Same Train, A Different Time, his tribute to Jimmy Rogers. And it wasn't even out on the to the public yet. I was the first one in the world to play it. We played all four sides. And Merle would come down every once in a while and we'd talk on the air. And he was only, uh, wasn't even 30 years old yet. Well, and you might mention that uh, your connection, because when you were a sophomore in high school, uh, one reason you got to be friends with Merle Haggard that young was that your family moved and you had to go to a new school and you didn't want to do that. So what no. did you do to solve that problem? No. Oh, my goodness. Well, it was 1965, and my mother and father moved from Bakersfield to Los Angeles. I didn't like Los Angeles. And, you know, it's just big city. took me away from all my friends. And my main friends, my two best friends, were Buddy and Mike Owens. And their mother, Bonnie Owens, married Merle the, the month that I moved to Los Angeles. So here I'm in Los Angeles and the Watts riots came along in August of 65. And well, I just, that, that was pretty much it. I said, I got to get out of here. So I called Mike and Buddy Owens and I said, can I come live in Bakersfield with Bonnie and Merle and Buddy and Mike and Bonnie's mama and Merle and Bonnie said, okay. So I wound up living my whole sophomore year of high school at Merle Haggard's house. That was a pretty bold solution to your problem of having to move to a city and losing your friends. So uh, that was uh, that was a, an admirable decision on your part, and that both families allowed you to do that. Well, you know, uh, Mike Owens told me that he asked Bonnie and Merle if I could come live with them, and initially they said no because they already had two teenagers. And Merle had four kids living across the, uh, the, the town of Waldell with his mother. He had had a divorce and his four kids from his first wife were over there. You might mention two... the name of that town again, because people probably not heard of Oildale. <laughs> yeah. Oildale is a suburb of Bakersfield, just north of Bakersfield. They call it Oildale because that's what it's made out of oil. There's still hundreds of oil derricks there. And that's where Merle was raised. So anyway, that's where I wound up going to school. Mike and uh, Mike and Buddy uh, 
coerced uh, Bonnie and Merle to let me stay there. And I think one of the main reasons why is because Michael told me this. He said that uh, he told him that Raymond wants to live with us. Can he live with us? And they said, oh, we don't think so. And finally, uh, Mike said, well, now, if you don't let him live with us, he's going to wind up in prison. <laughs> Come on. And I was only 15 years old. What do you mean I'm going to wind up in prison? But I think that struck a nerve with Merle. He didn't want anybody going to prison. He'd been there. Yeah, yeah, and, I so. and I think that's one of the reasons why he said, well. And so far, Nancy, I'm 71 years old now. I haven't been to prison. <laughs> Remind people, my guest is Raymond McDonald. And he has written a memoir. Merle Haggard was a friend of mine. And at this point in his story, he and Merle are living in Southern California. Merle is from a suburb of Bakersfield, Oildale. And you uh, had experience as a DJ. And it was convenient having from midnight to 6 a.m. because you could pretty much do whatever you wanted to. What are some of the things that you did that might not have been approved if you had had a daytime uh, show? <laughs> oh my goodness everything i mean they 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 just let me have full control of the music of course in those days you used to have to do five minutes of news every hour so i would and because i was on midnight to six and i was a teenager my friends were just thought i was a superstar and they'd come down there and watch me well i'd let them do the news and they would freak out you know they would get nervous and they couldn't talk but i just listened to them and let them try to read the news for five minutes i certainly could have done that in the daytime and also i was playing any of my friends when they'd call up hey ray can you play this song sure i can can you dedicate this to somebody sure i can i did that for months but it, it was a great it's just great fun to be on the radio what a what a great job that was well, now you didn't go from being the uh, DJ to directly to driving uh, Merle's bus. What uh, work did you do in between those two uh, fun occupations? Well, you know, after I, uh, I retired from radio about in 1978 out of uh, Las Vegas, I was over there for about 10 years, uh, having my own family, my children, Allison and Benjamin. I had my wife, Kathy Merle knew since she was 15 years old and I went on my own. You know, I, I wasn't in Bakersfield anymore, but we remained friends. I just uh, did that for about 10 years. Then I became a surveyor in the deserts of Clark County, the desert in Nevada for about another 12 years. I drove taxi cabs, I drove limousines. I sang at a nightclub for four years over there uh, in Las Vegas because I'd learned all the Merle stuff and Johnny Cash and George Strait and Vince Gill, all that stuff. I'd learned all that. And I was on singing as a, as a uh, country music entertainer in a nightclub over there for many years. And then I finally uh, uh, wound up working for Merle in 98 when his, as I mentioned before, his office manager died and I happened to be at his home when it happened. And I took over there, but, then I worked for Merle in 2001 at his home in Palisadro for a whole year. We, I'm going to say his office was in his living room. He didn't want it to be downtown or in Reading or anything. He wanted to keep an eye on me and anything I said to anybody that called or anything I wrote or whatever. He wanted to, he wanted to keep an eye on me. So that whole year, Nancy and Matt, I was there. Uh, in his living room every day, Monday through Friday, for almost an entire year. And that was really interesting. There's a lot of stories that came from, from that year. We, uh, I, I retired from that job uh, about 2002, and we remained friends all the way up till 2009 when he called me in the middle of the night asking me if I could drive his bus, his band bus. He said that his band bus driver had quit in the middle of a tour. Could I drive a bus? And he knew I was driving limousines and I had a commercial license. So I said, sure. So I flew to Dallas and was with him for the next six years. Well, you 
mentioned uh, storytelling and Billy Bob Thornton, you quote him in your book saying, Merle is a true storyteller. And when I read that, I thought, well, that comes in handy. I think if you were writing the lyrics to country songs, country music songs, that it would come in handy to be a, a storyteller. Oh, gosh. He was the best. He was a genius. Well, you wrote some uh, songs yourself, music and lyrics, yes? I did, and he actually liked them. I couldn't believe it. Uh, I never even approached him with a song because I'm an amateur songwriter, and I, I wrote a song called Losing in Las Vegas, and I gave it to Dean Holloway. Now, his, wait a second. I'm, I'm going friend. to remind you or uh, tell uh, listeners that that wasn't the original title. The song you wrote was Living in Las Vegas. And what that, did Merle say to that? <laughs> that is right. <laughs> he said, I sang the whole song for Merle and his whole band at Silverthorne one night. And he said, that's good, Ray, but you got one word wrong. I almost froze. I'm thinking, oh, my goodness, what is it? And he said, living. He goes, Ray, nobody lives in Las Vegas, but everybody loses there. So therefore, the name of your song is Losing in Las Vegas. Now sing it again, but don't sing I'm living in Las Vegas. Sing I'm losing in Las Vegas. And he put it on his Columbia album. And that's an example of a, of, a, of a weathered professional songwriter that knew even one word would make a big difference. My guest is Raymond McDonald. He is a performer himself, but he has written a memoir about his years with Merle Haggard. And there are so many stories of people that you met uh, in the process of, of working uh, and uh, working for Merle and driving his tour van bus. Now, um, one of the people that I, I know people would expect you to mention would be Willie Nelson. Even those of us who don't know much about country music know Willie Nelson. How did you meet him? I met him through Merle, and what was really strange was that Merle was always uh, so interested in other people, whether it be the janitor or the president of the United States. He was a keen observer of humanity. And he introduced me to Willie in, in the 80s. They were doing a show down in San Diego. I'd never met Willie Nelson. And Merle walked me up to him and he said, Willie, this is Ray McDonald. He wrote a song for me. And boy, Willie Nelson looked at me. And I thought, you know, Merle kind of, when he introduced me, kind of shied away from, Merle was usually very, uh, he had his chest out. He was very proud of, of what he'd accomplished, of what he could do, all his friends and all that. Of course he was. But, but Willie kind of, said, this is, this is Ray McDonald kind of under his breath. And Willie looked at me like, a, like an Indian chief from the 1800s would if you walked up into his uh, uh, reservation or amongst his teepees, like this is the chief. And the chief had long pigtails in the photographs yes, in your book. Yes, yes, he did. He, already, he had long hair even then. In fact, early pictures I see of, of Willie Nelson, I cannot recognize him back when he dressed like a, <laughs> uh, a normal businessman and his hair was cut. And that just is not the Willie Nelson I've always known. So, <laughs> no. So you called him chief. Oh, yeah. I called him like, just like an Indian chief. He is such a sweet man. He's so intelligent. His eyes, boy, when he looks at you, oh, it's like, Wow, you never seen anybody like that before. I think a lot of it is just because he has such a great heart. He's such a good human being. I mean, the farm aid thing that he's done a lot alone for what almost forty years now. Yeah. Oh my yeah. gosh, and and he's just a wonderful person. He he's one of the greatest people on earth. That's why he became such a big star, and and not to mention his talent. I mean, come on. Well, that's one of the Ooh. pleasures of reading your book, Ray, was getting to know people like Merle and Willie Nelson that uh, deserve our admiration because they are great human beings. Yes. So that was one of the pleasures of reading your book. 
now you in your chapter on Willie Nelson, you say Willie Poncho Nelson. Mm -hmm. And I've got to admit, I'd never, as to my knowledge, heard the song Poncho and Lefty. But a friend of mine said, that's his favorite song, country music song, Poncho and Lefty. So what was that song? That song was uh, from Emmy Lou Harris's album. A fellow down in Texas wrote it. Uh, I should be shot because I can't remember his name right now. <laughs> but but he, uh, Willie heard it. And Willie and Merle were doing an album together in the early 80s. And they put it out. And it was a gigantic record. I think it got him uh, a Grammy. I think it got him a CMA award for duo of the year. But have you heard it? Did you listen to it? I haven't in a long time. And it was before I read your book. So uh, that's one of the things that you mentioned in your book, that you can go online and listen to some of this music or see interviews with some of these people. So that's a nice thing about writing your book in this time in our technological history, that we have these things available to us. So I'll add that to my list to listen to and to watch. It's a great song. And they did it so sweet. And it, it's a great, it, I, again, we'll send people to YouTube. A lot of your listeners, I know this, know the song and have heard it. But those that haven't, uh, sure, they should they should listen to it. You can go on YouTube or Spotify or anything and hear Poncho and Lefty. It's it's just so sweet. It's just a great story song. Willie was Poncho in the song, and Merle was Lefty. Well, now something else you mentioned on one of um, Merle's skills. Uh, talents, maybe is the word, uh, was that he knew about herbal medicines. And uh, how did he, it sounds like he came to Willie's rescue one time uh, when you were Merle's assistant and office manager in Palisadro. And why did Willie call Merle for help? Because he knew that Merle knew those kind of things. And he called him, I was there, called him in the morning. And I think it was playing at Canocti. Is that how you say Clear Lake. it? Well, he was playing at Clear Lake, yeah. Clear which Lake? is near, it's not too far from Palisadro. Yeah. And you said Willie called because he had a bad cold. Yes. And he had to be performing. Yes. So, and Merle said, well, I'll, do, I'll fix up a concoction and we'll head on over there. So me and Merle and headed over there. Because he had a concert that night in yes. nearby Clear Lake. Mm -hmm. Yes. I'll never forget it. So we came up on the bus and if Merle... <laughs> Willie didn't even say hi. He goes, what have you got for me? <laughs> his, his voice was kind of craggly. And Merle goes, this right here. And he he had about a quart of some concoction of he'd made up of herbal medicines. And Willie drank half of it down. And Merle says, you got to drink the whole thing. And so Willie drank all the rest of it down. Within about 20 minutes, he was feeling better. Well, you say uh, after that, night you're driving back and Merle made two remarks that you remember about his friend Willie Nelson. First, Merle said, Willie is my mentor. Mm -hmm. And the second, he said, every time I'm around that man, I think this is a guy that wrote crazy. Mm, exactly. Every time. Because crazy, for your for your listeners that aren't familiar with that song, Nancy, it was the most played jukebox song for decades, Patsy Cline's version of Crazy. And even those of us who didn't really keep up with the country music had heard that song, Crazy. Oh, my goodness. After a break, Raymond McDonald and I will be back to continue our conversation about country singer-songwriter Merle Haggard. You're listening to Nancy's Bookshelf on North State Public Radio. I'm Nancy Wigman.
I'm Nancy Wigman, and you're listening to Nancy's Bookshelf on North State Public Radio. I'm continuing my conversation now with singer himself and songwriter Raymond McDonald, who was the tour bus driver for Merle Haggard for a number of years. So Willie Nelson was a large part of Merle Haggard's life, but there were lots of people who just came and went because they were such a fan of Merle Haggard. One of them, Bill Clinton, asked mm. to meet him. He says, I've been a fan of yours all my life. Yes. And you can add Barack and Michelle Obama to that list as well. Yeah. Almost everybody we ever met, Dale Earnhardt, uh, the, yeah. the great NASCAR legend, legendary driver. That was sad. That was sad. Uh, that, that broke Merle's heart. I, I, I'll never forget walking in his house the, the day after Dale died up there in uh, Daytona and he was uh, quietly his eyes were misted up and he wasn't weeping but he was very hurt and I go what's wrong he said Dale Earnhardt died and wrecked yesterday at Daytona he said he was my fan he goes my god he was my friend really hurt him well another person that asked to see Merle Haggard was a, a movie actress, Julia Roberts. Yes. And oh she my. told Merle she was a huge fan. Yes. Uh, Angelina Jolie. They, they, they literally jump on him. I mean, they kiss him and his wife standing over there watching these famous, beautiful women maul Merle Haggard. And Merle just kind of smiled and gave him a hug or something. You know, he didn't get up too excited, but he was always a gentleman and always really surprised at some of the, some of their reactions. Well, Merle, uh, he, he was a songwriter, but he also had credits on over a hundred movie soundtracks. Isn't that like crazy? Yeah. He, you know, his music got in a lot of movies and I'm sure it will in the future. Uh, those, those songs aren't going anywhere. They're, they're legendary. Hundred years from now, they'll still be putting his songs in movies, and they'll, they'll still be playing it, just like Johnny Cash and Willie. Can you mention a few that uh, songs of his that were used in movies? Yeah, Mama Tried, I'm Always on a Mountain When I Fall. Uh, of course, the interaction he had with Clint Eastwood. Yeah, that uh, surprised me. That uh, in Bronco Billy, he sang yeah. his duet with Clint Eastwood. He did, Barroom Buddies. It was a num number one song, and plus Merle was in the movie. But that was a you know a gigantic movie back in those days. Yeah. And, well, and then uh, John Wayne, he was in Chisholm, uh, a, a few other movies that I, I can't think of off the top of my head. But Well, one other very famous movie was Platoon. And which of his songs did they play in Platoon? Okie from Muskogee. Yeah. Okie and, from you know, of course, that's the movie about the Vietnam conflict and... Uh, he, it, it, I heard it on there. I remember going to the movies and watching it. I didn't know it was in there. And here it comes on in the background. That was mixed in with Jimi Hendrix and Purple Haze. So that yeah. was kind of weird. Good company there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, and then I uh, already mentioned um, seeing him in Ken Burns' documentary, Country Music. Merle played a prominent role in that um, documentary, both in the interviews and his performances. So uh, he appeared in hundreds of television performances from the 1960s, uh, even 2019. All and the way to Ken Burns' documentary, un unbelievable. He, he probably, Murrow was more influential to country music uh, performers of 1980 to now than anyone. And I've talked to them personally, some of them, uh, Vince Gill, thinks that Merle Haggard is the greatest country music singer-songwriter of all time. So does Garth Brooks, Alan Jackson, Clint Black, Randy Travis, Tim McGraw, Carrie Underwood, all of them, every single one of them worships Merle Haggard. A lot of them got in the business because of Merle Haggard. And I think one of the reasons country music is so strong now is because of Merle Haggard. Yeah, yeah. Well, and he was showered with awards as people wanted to honor his contribution to our culture beyond just country music. And he was honored at the Kennedy Center 
And one of the photographs, your chapter that deals with that, the Kennedy Center Honors, the photograph at the beginning of that chapter is with none other than Paul McCartney. <laughs> and, I was and, thrilled. And uh, most, the majority of the pictures you took, but this is a photograph. You didn't happen to take this photograph. This is credited to Jim Haggard. And, and Jim Haggard is Merle's nephew. He's about my age. I think he's about 70 years old now. But he was back there with us. And uh, he went on the he went to the actual ceremony at the White House where Barack Obama, uh, President Barack Obama, gave Merle his award, along with uh, Jerry Herman, who wrote Dolly and a bunch of Broadway hits, Oprah Winfrey. Yes, he was on that night, yeah. Bill Jones, the dancer, and of course, the one and only Paul McCartney. My goodness. It was thrilling. I wasn't there, but I got that picture and I was allowed to use it. Well, uh, speaking of the fact that you weren't there, uh, Merle asked you to do something that was rather, gosh, to drive, was it 3,000 miles? Because he wanted to stay in his bus when he was in Washington, D.C. So what did he ask of you, Ray? Well, he asked me, and I had a relief driver. In fact, Jim Haggard helped me as well. And Merle's son, Benny, was a driver at the time. Uh, we drove from Palisadro to Washington, D.C., 3,000 miles, so Merle could stay there on his bus instead of the hotel. He'd rather stay in his bus. That's where his music was, his food was. He, was, uh, he, he loved that bus. That was his home. And the hotels were kind of like, ah, I got to go in there. But he did. But, but anyway, yeah, so we drove all the way there. We stayed, in, <laughs> we stayed in the hotel. Of course, Merle had a suite if he wanted to go up there. But uh, uh, Willie was there and Chris Christopherson. In fact, there's a picture uh, in the Chris Christopherson chapter, that J another one that Jim Haggard took, of uh, Willie Nelson, Chris Christopherson, Jamie Johnson, and Merle Haggard on the bus. Willie's bus was there, too. And they were just having a party. Well, now, I mentioned uh, the Paul McCartney and everybody loved the Beatles. I mean, they were incredibly popular. And one of the Beatles, a fan of Merle Haggard, wanted to meet him. And you met so many people, Ray, but this Beatle, you just missed him. How did that happen? Well, that's Ringo Starr, the drummer. And, you know, December 14th is Benny Haggard's birthday. It was yesterday, actually, as we speak. He was 29. Well, I went up to see Benny uh, just a few weeks after he was born. And Merle said, you just missed Ringo Starr. And I said, what? Merle Haggard knew I was a Beatles freak. I was playing Beatles music at his house in 1965, 66, all the time. Yeah, Merle would come home and there was there were the Beatles blasting away on his stereo system. Yeah, so <laughs> Ringo, as I understand it, Ringo had was a huge fan of Buck Owens and Merle Haggard all the way back to the early 60s when they when he first started. And Ringo somehow found out that uh, Merle needed some help or something. I think Merle had a, uh, a bankruptcy at that time, a Chapter 11 bankruptcy. I think the same day his son was born, if I remember right, it was about the same time, 92. And R Ringo and Don Was, who was a well-known producer, bassist uh, out of Hollywood, took a jet that I think Ringo owned and flew to, Pal flew to Reading, drove out to Palisadro. They actually played on a record that Merle made called Set My Chickens Free. And I showed up about a week later, and I didn't know Ringo had been there. And, and when I show up to see this little baby boy, Merle goes, you, you missed Ringo by one week, Ray. And I said, what? Because I wanted to meet a Beatle. And then I actually did meet Ringo at the, in Los Angeles many years later, about 2005 or six, right in there. And he came on the bus and talked to Merle about all, it's in it's in my book about the Beatles and Merle Haggard. You know, I mentioned one of the things I enjoyed about your book is reading 
what nice guys Merle Willie Nelson was. There's also a nice guy that I'd like to give you a chance to tell us about because these days law enforcement just is getting a bad name for so many things that happen. And there was a guy in Southern California that was so qualified for the job and he got elected. And who was that? That's Sheriff Sheriff Donnie Youngblood. Yep. Of yep. the Kern County Sheriff. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yes. Oh my goodness. Yeah. He. I didn't even know him, and and I was playing uh, my guitar and singing Merle Haggard songs at the Kern County Fairgrounds one day, and he was running for sheriff. He had a little kiosk, and he came over and he started putting money in my guitar case. Him and his friends, and I didn't know who he was. When I got done, he, they come over and they said, come look at our kiosk. I'm running for sheriff. And I go, all right. He's been the sheriff there for 16 years now. And he's going to go again for another four. He's, he's a great gentleman. But him and Merle became really good friends. I knew Merle would like this guy, Don, Sheriff Donnie Youngblood. And he knows uh, the sheriff up there in your county. He's known them all for years. I think Jim Pope was a good friend of Merle's. Is that right? Jim Pope, former sheriff. And then the, the sheriff that's up there now, he's still good friends with him. Uh, Donnie Youngblood, he, he certainly deserved a, uh, a shout out on my, in my book. I felt, I felt so. Yeah. Yeah. That was again, one of the stories that was, I found heartwarming that this nice guy, uh, what are some of the other people that you met that made an impression on you, Ray? Well, it was overwhelming to meet some of these people that you see on TV or you hear them all your life, like Johnny Cash. So, oh, oh my goodness. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, Carrie Underwood, Garth Brooks. Uh, of course, you know, oh, oh, the one that the one that really flipped me out the most was Ernest Borgnine. Yeah, that's surprising. He, he showed up at a Merle Haggard show one time in Las Vegas and Merle after about 30 minutes of singing, he goes, I'm sorry, I'm nervous. He goes, Ernest Borgnine came to see me backstage tonight. Sitting right here, they put the light on him and he stood up and you know, he had that giant grin with the gap tooth. He's just bigger than life. John Wayne. Yeah, yeah. People yeah. like that. Charlie Pride. I, I met a lot of people because of Murrow. Well, and you mentioned Johnny Cash. Uh, probably if People know no other performer in country music. Johnny Cash would come to mind, even with his wife, June Carter Cash. But there's also uh, a kind of music that doesn't seem to be uh, Merle Haggard style, and that's Frank Sinatra. Mm. Sinatra was a Merle Haggard fan. Yeah. And, and Merle loved his music as well. Yeah, you said that Merle liked the stylings of Bing Crosby and Frank Sinatra. Of course, a lot of other people, too. But, uh, yeah, you say that one day, this was early 1980s, that Frank Sinatra called Merle while he was at his ranch there at Palisadro. And uh, so that was a surprise, that Frank Sinatra would be a fan of Merle Haggard. Well, Nancy Ronald Reagan was the governor of California back in the 60s, early 70s. And Ronald Reagan is the one who gave Merle his uh, full pardon in 1970. So Merle Haggard and Ronald Reagan were good friends. And then when Reagan became president in 1980, I think it was, uh, he called his friend Frank Sinatra from way years before when they were movie stars in the 50s, for God's sakes. And he said, let's put a party together. I want you to call the best in the world and we'll have a big party here at the white house. And Frank called Merle Haggard and, and Merle took the call. And he said, Frank Sinatra said, president wants me to put a party together and get the best entertainers in the world. And I called you first. So another person that uh, became uh, a large figure in Southern California, he was uh, played a cowboy in the movies and yet he went on to be quite a sharp businessman. And you might know I'm talking about Gene Autry. Gene Autry was, he, I'll never forget what I did on that one. It was early 90s and me and Merle were on the phone a lot. 
I talked to him almost every day from Las Vegas where I was living and he was living in Palisadro, but we talked all the time. And one day we got talking about Gene Autry and I said, have you ever met him? And he goes, no. I said, what? He's king of the Cowboys, Gene Autry. Oh my goodness. So I called Gene Autry's office unbeknownst tomorrow. And I said, I want to, is Gene there? And they go, no, he's, he's, he's out right now. Can you leave a message? I said, sure. This is Raymond McDonald. I'm a friend of Merle Haggard's. I understand that they've never spoken. Could you give Gene Autry Merle's home phone number here and just have him call him? Surprising. So Gene got the message. He called Merle's house and Merle wasn't there. And later Merle called me about a half an hour later. And he said, Ray, did you give my phone number to Gene Autry's office? And I said, yes, I did. He goes, well, I was getting my hair cut downtown ready. When I come back, they said, Gene Autry called looking for you. And he goes, what? So he kind of figured I was the one who, who did that. So he said, Ray, don't you know that you don't call God? I mean, he literally was God to Merle Hack and Willie Nelson. They both thought worship Gene Autry. But anyway, they did get to speak, I guess. And uh, I said, what do you say? And he, he wouldn't tell me. <laughs> well, your book is a real joy to read, Raymond. I, I really want to tell you that. And thank you for telling us about your memoir that you've written about Merle Haggard. Well, thank you so much. So let me tell him again, the title of your memoir is Merle Haggard Was a Friend of Mine. The author is Raymond McDonald. Thank you, Ray. Thank you. You've been listening to Nancy's Bookshelf, a production of North State Public Radio. You can find this and other episodes of Nancy's Bookshelf on our website, mynspr.org.